Hello, welcome baseball basketball fans. We also have a baseball show, so that's why we just recorded it. Sorry. Let's go. Hello, welcome back, everyone. We're doing basketball. That's the sport we are here. We also do have a baseball show. Please do check us out. Tommy's wearing his baseball to remind you to go check us out. That's me, Mongo, and our my other cousin. Not this one, Tommy. The other one, another one named John. Um, so today we are in our basketball show. We're going to go over a few topics. We're going to start with going over the uh, end of the Eastern Conference Finals. We were recording mid game seven. So we're going to go over the results and the winner of the Eastern Conference MVP. Then we're going to go over two uh, coaching hires, and then we're going to wrap things up with the beginning of the NBA Finals. So let's kick things off with <clears throat> Game 7, Boston versus Miami. I, I was uh, able to watch it. Um, I spy I definitely was not in the middle of recording an episode somehow. Uh, I watched part of it. I don't know why or how. Um, Recordings are a heck of a thing. We uh, we were there was a big time. That's why we recorded earlier. We we were able to make it work. Check it out. And um, listen, as we were filming live, we did have the you know the score off to our right here, and it was very obvious what was going to happen. Um, there there really wasn't a whole lot of uh, breathtaking moments in Game Seven. Um, you know, Miami did what Miami does, um, which is they win the games they need to win. Um, we've seen it all along. Uh, you know, we we counted them out in the play-in tournament, and then lo and behold, they just absolutely ran over Chicago. Um, you know, we didn't think they had a chance against Milwaukee. They just won the games they needed to. And then, you know, when all of a sudden a 3-0 lead became 3-1, 3-2, uh-oh, 3-3, and everyone said, well, Miami's bad at home. Boston's got the momentum. Miami did what they do. They win the game they need to. It was, it was not a relatively close game, which is, you know, a bit disappointing. Um, but a win is a win for them, so they're happy. They moved on to the NBA Finals. The uh, NBA, <coughs> sorry, Eastern Conference MVP uh, winner was Jimmy Butler. There is some questions, though. Here's the question for today's episode: Was Caleb Martin robbed of Eastern Conference Finals MVP? He was huge for them in Game Seven. He was very important to them in general with their success so far this playoffs. And we'll talk about uh, later when we talk about the the final uh, game, one of the finals, his his uh, how, how that that what happened, his result, his impact in that. Um, so you know, the when he had when he's on, the team is much more successful. Now, obviously, Jimmy Butler is the bigger name. He's he's the star on the team, and Jimmy Butler really is ultimately the reason this team is was even in Game Seven. So. Obviously, Jimmy Butler deserves it. I don't really think Caleb Martin was robbed. Um, but I want your guys' takes on this because I believe he got four of the votes. Kevin, we'll start with you if you don't mind. I I'm not I'm not hundred percent I'm not hundred percent sure. I was I was I've been leaning back and forth between Caleb Martin and Jimmy Butler. Uh I think I think Jimmy Butler was the reason they got to 3-0, but then Jimmy Butler took like kind of did some sort of disappearing act through games four through six. And I thought that Caleb Martin, 26 points career high in play, in game seven, 
was 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 pretty was 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 a decisive factor in ultimately swaying me to uh I like I would have voted Caleb Barton for um um MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals. I thought I thought he was much more consistent. Like whether they won or lost, he showed up in every game in the series. Tommy? I'm with Kevin, you know, Caleb Martin really did show out, but I mean, if I'm being honest, it could have gone either way. Because Jimmy Butler, you know, like you said, is part of the reason they even made it that far. It's honestly a a preference at that point. The more immediacy of what Caleb Martin doing in that series, or, you know, the the long term of what Jimmy Butler did at that point. I will like to point out the fact that that these two awards were named after a Laker and a Celtic, and neither a Laker or a Celtic who had the did not. Just a little irony. Love me, love me some irony. Here's what I'll say about Jimmy Butler. It's always going to be tough when Jimmy Butler is involved to actually figure out his value. And we've talked about this ad nauseum the last couple months, you know, three or four weeks. So I'm not going to keep jamming it down our, our regular listeners' throats. He can choose whether he wants to be a shooter, a slasher, a defensive presence. So to sit there and try and quantitatively describe what Jimmy Butler does is nearly impossible. But let me just put it this way. If after game six, Caleb Martin retired, they would have just brought Tyler Hero back one game earlier and the Heat would have been the same team they basically were. If Jimmy Butler retired after game six, the Heat would have lost by four. I'm sorry, you can't deny that. It's clear whose team this is. Jimmy Butler is the valuable player on this team. It was his award. It was his award to win or lose. He deserves it. You should have given it to Jimmy Butler. That's all there is to it. Well, you, you caught me off guard there. Was not expecting that, but... uh. I agree. That's what I was saying before. So um, anything else anyone uh, wants to add on this topic before we move to the coaching hires? Uh, Coaches getting paid. We we talked about it very briefly last week, so I won't go too far into it. But I am actually secretly glad Boston got as far as they did because I felt when Boston was getting swept, it was – they were getting a bad rap. All of a sudden, this Boston team is fragile. All of a sudden, they need to blow it up. They need to do everything. I'm glad we now look back at this year as a year that Boston came within one game so we can actually have a decent head on our shoulders about what this Boston Celtic team is, which is a really, really good team that just – came against a really, really hot Miami Heat team. That's all it is. Miami is a bunch of veterans. Eric Spolster has this team on complete lock. They got outcoached a little bit for sure. But Boston is not a bad team. They don't need to really do much to still be an, a, a no-brainer top three or four next year. All right, on to the coaching hires. We're going to start with Monty Williams, um, mostly because that's the one that's on the page here next to me. boy. So Monty Williams signed a six-year, $78.5 million contract with the Detroit Pistons, including an average annual salary of 13.0833. That's a whole lot of money. That's a whole High, lot of money for a highest, bad coach coaching a yeah. bad team. Highest oh, paid man. coach in NBA history, if I'm not mistaken, right? Is it now? Is it? Is that? Uh, maybe I, I don't really matter. It doesn't matter too much. Is it the most money ever, or is it the most annual ever? Kev, yeah, you can you can go down the rabbit hole for that because. To me, if the man well, it's interesting because this contract <laughs> could reach eight years, a hundred million dollars with incentives per multiple reports, oh, and geez. and it's uh, and this salary is so big that it dwarfs uh, Tommy's coach Greg Popovich, who only makes eleven and a half million dollars a year, and Popovich, last I checked, won five titles. That guy can't. So, all right, 
<laughs> what are we doing? You Monty, know, you make that now we lose our viewer. Monty, you Monty, say it and we lose a viewer. We lost a viewer. Mo- the Monty, other Monty Williams. What are we doing, NBA? This is <laughs> literally couldn't figure out how to hit triangle to change the rotations on Madden. <laughs> He's getting paid infinity billion dollars. This is not a good code. What are we now, doing? Also, didn't he say he was only going to go to a contender? I, I don't. I yes. Is I don't Detroit know. a contender all of a sudden? What we're doing. <laughs> I'm broken. I'll they they, 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 they weren't even one. contending for the first overall pick. Tom, Tommy, you got the hand up. Make some sense of this. It's about the money. It's 100% uh, about the money. Well, no, yeah. obviously, I understand why he's still coaching. <laughs> why did Detroit think he was the right coach? He, is, he was with Desperation. the Pelicans, right? He was with the Pelicans, then he went to the Suns, then he got universally trashed for not understanding how to take out a guy when he's been, when he's getting destroyed, and then he went to Detroit for infinity billion dollars. So, so obviously, him... Him, kudos to him. Good for him on being able to swindle the Detroit Pistons into giving him a six-year contract of almost eighty million dollars. Good yeah, for him. Your year, Kev. What do you got for us? Please make some sense of this. Um, it, well, I've got more nonsense. He's also, in addition to Popov, in, in addition to Popovich, he also makes more than Steve Kerr per year, nine and a half million. Eric Spolstra, eight and a half million. Only four other head coaches were making $8 million or more this past season, and all of them were fired. Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer, Doc Rivers, and Steve Nash. Hey, Steve. Let me, let me, try, and, let me try and make some uh, sense. First of all, for the annual salary thing, it's like receivers in the NFL where they keep being the highest paid only because they're the most recent to be paid. I have a funny, first of all, I, I do not believe for a second Monty Williams is going to last seven years. He's going to get fired here at some point. But two years. But seven years from now, this will not be the highest contract. So I, I will say that. Secondly, the only possible logic I can give for Monty Williams here is he is very stubborn in either you're in or you're out. And what Detroit has done the last, I don't know, how long have they been bad? Five years, eight years, 10 years, 50 years? I really don't know. But Detroit has a bunch of high-octane draft picks on their roster. They need a coach to come in and make some tough decisions. These are the guys we're sticking with. These are our rotational guys. These are our stars. These are the guys we're going to trade for future assets or trade for veterans or whatever they're going to do. And Monty Williams does seem like the kind of guy who can come in and be objective and say, I don't care that you were a lottery pick. You are not one of the seven best players on this team. You're not going to be part of my rotation. And so that's the only defense of Monty Williams. And even that, you can. I hope my voice is doing it justice to how hard it is to sell this. I don't like this signing, but if you're going anywhere in support of it, you're supporting that they right now need a stubborn coach, and he can be stubborn. Kevin? I just want to point out that it – it was Detroit owner Tom Gores who who decided to make this one last desperate run at Monty Williams. Otherwise, he was going to take the year off from coaching. All right, well, I'll, I'll say this. When it's the owner who wants to spend the money and then the money gets spent, I at least don't feel guilty. I mean, if, listen, it's his it's his dollar-dollar bills if he wants to lose. If he wants to lose money because it's going to get sickeningly hard to watch the Pistons in 2026, then you do you, buddy. I don't know what to do. Golly. You know, hey, um, Detroit, looking forward to, I don't know. I hope, I just, I hope there's a good hopefully, number one hopefully, overall pick in 2026. Yeah. That's all I'll say on that. What do you uh, got, Kevin? To close, on, to close on Detroit, 
Kevin Ali and Charles Lee were the front runners prior to the desperate Monty Williams last offer. I was giving them a shot. I adore Kevin Ali. Somebody please hire that man. Wonders in UConn. Detroit, Somebody you, please Detroit, hire there, Kevin there, Ali. There's got to be a way for you to avoid this contract. All right. On to Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel <laughs> signed with the Phoenix Suns, a reported five years, $31 million contract. Uh, reported first by this guy about a month ago. This was a no-brainer. <laughs> so uh, uh, those of you... Uh, who have not been paying attention. Frank Vogel was the head coach of the Lakers when they last won a championship. Prior to that, he was with the Pacers. Anyone else? Uh, that's I'll take a quick look. I can remember, to be quite honest, we can look it up. But uh, he's most he's, he's he's most famous within basketball families for his time coaching the Pacers. He's most famous to the outside world as the guy who got to who LeBron gave a ring to. Now, I will say this: he is a good coach. For a, a, if you're looking for uh, making your team go to the playoffs, he's a good coach. If you have a superstar who's actually the coach, Paul George wasn't the coach. No, but you know who was LeBron James. <laughs> Guys, the minute Monty Williams got fired, go back four episodes. I, I literally stopped the show to announce that Frank Vogel was going to be the coach of Phoenix. This I, was I a, do believe things, this yeah. was an absolute no brainer. We know that Vogel knows how to handle for stars and kind of let them do their thing. This is. And we know that out in the wild, wild west where the, you know, the Kings made a run, you know, just get in the playoffs. And like you just said, that's Frank Vogel's specialty. He gets in the playoffs. This is this is a slam dunk hiring. Kev, what do you got for it? Frank Vogel, the Wildwood Crest, New Jersey native, coached, coached, was head coach of the Pacers, the Magic, and the Lakers. Go right. real quick. Who's the head coach of the Magic currently? Jamal Tinsley. I want to say Jamal McGlure, but Kev, go ahead and look it up. It's Jamal something. Guys, we've been doing Jamal this for three Mosley. years. Oh, Jamal Mosley. Oh, this was Jamal. We, we've been doing this for three years. We can tell you how many rebounds for my backups. We still can't tell you who coaches the Magic. But we still love But we still love Franz Wagner. Let's make that clear. We still love Franz Wagner. Please come on our show, Wagner boys. But, man, that is – I don't know why we just cannot do that. That is just the most obscure that just job the on magic the planet. Of the top? He That's just said it and I already it was it was Jerome Moizo. Um, so uh, anyway, to conclude this episode of coaching nonsense, Frank Vogel good, Monty Williams bad. Thanks for t- that thing. That thus concludes Tank Talk with Tommy. Um, <laughs> shall we talk about the finals? No, we're done. This episode's over. No, of course we can. Yes, that's go. really what we're here for. We're talking. Uh, well, actually, you know what? Real quick, Kevin had something he wanted to talk about that I can't remember. So I'm just gonna have Kevin just blurt it out. Okay, so Adam Silver mentioned right before the finals that they came, they researched all the info on John Morant, and they have come to a conclusion and a decision on his on his on whatever punishment they're going to deal him next. However, they have talked to the NBA Players Association. They have decided to hold off on making the announcement of the John Morant situation until after the finals, so that they do not usurp. The, the Nuggets and the Heat in the finals. Therefore, we're going to refrain from commenting further on that topic until the great Mr. Silver makes it makes his decision public. So as a general rule, I like that just code of ethics. Let the finals be the finals. But in this particular case, remember that part of Jaws saga happened at a club in Denver. And so the, the fodder, particularly for Heat fans, when they go back to Miami in this series to kind of just make some low-hanging fruit jokes about Ja in Denver 
it, it's too easy, right? We Because Ja is technically attached to Denver in this saga, we want to remove him from that. And so I, I like the decision no matter what, but especially because of Ja's involvement directly to one of these cities, it's a, it's a no-brainer of them. Fair enough. Um, that's all. I'm just, let's move on to the finals. <clears throat> Game one. Uh, well, by the way, that's what I was watching. Did not watch the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> And my streak of watching Heat play and the Heat losing continues. Yeah. So if you want, that means watch the Heat more often so that they lose. Watch them whenever they play the Knicks. That. Yeah. Yeah, That too. Um, So um, I was watching the game. I found it was. um, You could tell that it was. It was not going to be easy for the Heat. Um, Boy, Caleb Martin did not show. They the team's offense did not show up. makes you think a little bit uh, back to what I was talking about in uh, or my, and what Mago was talking about of why he's not who you get, give the final uh, Eastern Conference Finals MVP to, right? Like he's just, when he's on, yes, he's great. And he's helped that, he helps that team. The thing is this, the team still, they still were, it was still a relatively close game with him playing poorly, you know, up until, I think it was, there was just, what was the third quarter or fourth, third or fourth quarter was the where there was like a bit of a blowout. But for the most part, the game was very was relatively close. Um, so he's kind of seems like an. Uh, it's hard to make a, a player who seems almost irrelevant be the MVP. So I understand why. Watching the finals game one, I understand why he was going into the finals. He was uh, one of the, the uh, one of the favorites they were talking about for top five for betting to to win potentially win the uh, finals. And I think he's no longer even one of the the two Miami players. I think it's just Bam and Jimmy Butler and then three players from Denver, which is Michael Porter Jr., um, Jamal Murray, and uh, Nikolai Yu. Kevin, I'm going to run <coughs> over real quick because I'm, I'm going to be the statistics nerd in the group, which is normally your job, but I'm going to steal your thunder for a second. Oh, okay. Okay. The, fact that, the fact that Caleb Martin needed to be in the discussion for finals MVP betting, what that means is that everyone believed that in order for Miami to have a chance here – one of two things was going to have to happen. Either Denver was going to have to disappoint or Miami was going to have to find some sort of magic from further down. If Jimmy Butler, if it's just Jimmy Butler against the world, Miami does not have a shot. And we saw in game one what happens when it's Jimmy Butler against the world. Miami doesn't really have a shot. Don't let the score fool you. Don't let anything fool you. This is as long as Denver just goes out and, you know, use, a, so much use a golf analogy, use a horse racing analogy, pick your favorite sport where if somebody just does what they're supposed to do, they're impossible to beat. That's Denver right now. As long as they just go out and and run their course, they just shoot the par they're supposed to. However, again, you pick your favorite sports analogy. This is Denver's series to lose. And so I think after one game, you kind of realize, you know, it doesn't matter if Max Struess drops a 22 in game three. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, if Caleb Martin drops a 30. This is Denver, because remember, Denver still has assets that they're not even using yet. We can still see some minutes out of Reggie Jackson. We can still see a, a six fouls, ten rebounds, four block game out of Thomas Bryant. You know, pick your favorite. Oh, yeah, they still have that guy. And in the meantime, the entire Nuggets bench is just a defensive juggernaut. So it's it's yeah. not like the odds of one of these guys on Miami's bench scoring 30 is even that likely because Denver, everyone on Denver's bench does its job. But the mm-hmm. fact is the Nuggets have reserves that would be seventh or eighth men on most teams. It's, it's nuts how deep this Denver team. They're bigger than Miami. They're deeper than Miami. 
this is going to be very, very tough for Miami to get creative. Here. And before we get to you, Kevin, let me just say real quick, I was watching this game. Aaron Gordon was dominating the first couple quarters. Yeah. And he it was not it was not even close. It, the fact that they let him disappear a little bit and they still dominate essentially dominated Miami is just crazy. And it's it does not make this look like a great finals matchup. <clears throat> so Kevin, what do you got? All right. The Miami three shooters, Max Truce, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson. They attempted 23 shots in game one. And made a grand total of two of them. You need more than that. Yeah. But it, again, it I, I listen, two out of twenty-three is not gonna happen every game. That's that's almost statistically impossible. If they just punt from the from the from the midcourt, they might get two. But <laughs> it's it's more Denver's defense. It's not like Miami wasn't doing what they were doing. Everyone on Denver plays defense. And again, there we didn't get a chance to have a show between the, the conference finals and the finals. So we had to just make our predictions behind the scenes. But one of my predictions was that Aaron Gordon and Tyler Hero would get in a fight at some point because Aaron Gordon just really has no size equivalent in this series. He can just be a bully. And don't be, we may, if this game, if this series isn't just a complete blowout, we may say, we may see a rare Udonis Haslam fights, fights Aaron Gordon situation the same way Tristan Thompson had to come out in the last series just to kind of slow down Aaron Gordon. We saw what he can do in a dunk contest. We know that he's an absolute energizer bunny. There really is no logical four on Miami to go against him. So aside from Denver being the better defensive team, from being the deeper team, they also have a, a free power forward who can just exhaust Miami. It's it's It really is not a great matchup for the Heat at all. Um, and we're also... That would be great. We're also... Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't even hear what you said there, Tommy. But um, we, we haven't even mentioned KCP. Yeah, or Michael Porter Jr. I right, mean, you know. The fact that Michael Porter Jr. Well, he, can, have I, I dominant, that, yeah. can have dominant moments in the paint, the fact that KCP can shoot you back into a game. So even if they somehow just get off to a sluggish, you know, where Miami can possibly do some damage is in the beginning of game three when they, you know, when they get back, you know, when they get back home. Um, but KCP can easily just shoot them right back into a game if they get, you know, if they get taken out. So it's, it's going to be tough. I really just, I can't keep. You know, I can't just keep repeating that, but it's tough. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, boy, uh, let's go real quick and give uh, our predictions. Um, I know we did, like Mago was saying, we 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 didn't have time in between, but I I have Denver in five. I have. I always had Denver in five. Also, shout out to the fact that we have the Nikola Jokic Nikola uh, Jovic match here going on. But uh, <laughs> Nuggets in five. Tommy, it's four. Wow! All right, I dig that. I'll have, say Nuggets in six. All right. I think I think it'll go three one, three two, and four two. So now I will say this: I think Jimmy Butler will do his damnedest to make this a seven game series. Oh yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I, I think it's you know it's it's hard to uh, the the reason I'm not giving it a sweep is because Jimmy will will, will them to at least. Yeah, and I I I think <clears throat> I think we're gonna look. Listen, championships mean the world. And we talked about, you know, who had more pressure on him a couple weeks ago. Even if Jokic had never won a ring, 24 years from now, when the NBA does its top 100 players for 100 years, Jokic was in either way. But I I think the narrative on Jimmy Butler 24 years from now, I'm not saying he's going to be in the top 100, but I'm saying what Jimmy Butler is doing right now is is doing more for what we're going to say to our kids one day 
than Jokic winning a ring will do for what we're going to say about him one day. He was an MVP. He was a, a bit of a unicorn. He was an incredible big man with an incredible offensive skill set, period. Jimmy Butler is is the, the revelation from this NBA playoffs, no matter whether he gets wiped off the court here in four or whether this thing goes to seven or whether he wins. It doesn't terribly matter. Now, if he wins, it's another story because we've talked about this a bunch on the show. There's a legend in behind every championship, right? Maybe we've talked about maybe the 79 Supersonics and debatably the Wallace Boys in 04 might be the only exception. But otherwise, there's always, always been an elite, elite player on every championship. So if Miami finds a way to win, well, now we have to kind of have that question. Are we going to force the narrative that Jimmy Butler is great because every team has a great player behind, every champion has a great player behind it. But for right now, I think even in a loss, Jimmy Butler's legacy takes more of an uptick than Jokic's does here. I agree. Um, <clears throat> anything else we want to add before we wrap things up? Nope. Uh. All right. Thank you all so much for watching. Remember, like, share, subscribe, comment down below. <clears throat> Tell us who you have winning the NBA Finals. Nixon, too. We talked about a streak in the NBA Finals concerning future, current, and former Knicks in the NBA Finals. DeAndre Jordan is your for, is your former Nick in the Finals. Excellent. Bye. See you